you by the Endurance Lab, where the coaches from the lab recap the week and answer a couple questions from the forum. My name is Jason Flores, one of the coaches and one of the Endurance, um, and I'm jo- today I'm joined by Taya Friesen and Andrea Cullen. Ian Murray and Mitch Dangerman are out today, but I've got the ladies to really pump up this last week here of the lab. So let's jump straight into the lab here and say good morning to the ladies. How are you guys doing? Good morning. Yeah. Andrea, you still there for us? I am. I'm here. Oh, look at that. Nice and loud and clear. All right. Um, So I just want to just go straight into the lab this week. We're going to jump into the workouts that we did and a a couple things. So let's go there. So we'll start out with a couple of the skills um, that we had here in our very last week of the performance lab. So Taya, what did we have going on and kind of what's the feeling out there right now? So this week we started with a nice over-under workout. 12 minutes um, of over-unders three times, so three by 12. We, uh, the, the unders were not super high. They were at about the high end of tempo, and, but the overs were a little bit higher at 115% of FTP. Just a great workout overall for really any discipline that you choose to um, race under outdoors. And then we had a progressive VO2 workout, that one also designed to be um, on the harder side. So these are um, one-minute-long intervals in varying power between 125 and 130% of FTP. At the end, we added two ramps to really drain the legs and push that system so you can build your um, anaerobic engine. The third workout of the week, a solid threshold workout, spending time a little bit above FTP in six-minute intervals, but really a total work of, we're looking at three intervals of six, 12 minutes of 105%. This workout is a good indicator, a good good example of some of the work we're going to be doing in the next lab, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. But this is at the time that we are um, working on here in the lab is a good transition to be pushing that threshold a little bit higher now and then in the next lab to really go to work on that. And then we close the week with uh, an outdoor ride, regular pace simulation. This is, we have an indoor alternative for you, but you can also go outdoors and uh, do this on the road staying within the zones that we have here, sort of like a mix of endurance pace and tempo with a few accelerations. But the goal here is to get volume in uh, two hours or more. Absolutely. I think it's um, definitely a good look at the sort of things um, that we'll be kind of pushing through for uh, the next lab with uh, threshold work um, and continued VO2 max work um, specifically. And um, a lot of our riders are actually have been asking what are some things that we can, um, you know, add to these workouts um, because they're starting to get into that mindset of the different things that they can layer on to these workouts. For example, doing the VO2 
um, lab progressive VO2 workout and maybe adding some cadence changes or they're really starting to think. So I think our lab writers are starting to kind of get it. And I love that when they're coming to us and are asking, hey, can I mix this up? Can I try low cadence? Can I try high cadence? And I think that's definitely a benefit that uh, that can they can start to understand and bring to all of their writing, both indoors and outdoors. Um, as far as strength and on the multi-sport side, I've got um, the strength report here. Um, we've had two workouts this week. Uh, we had the body weight 30-minute workout in the early part of the week, and we've got the leg crusher workout at the end. Now, if you've done more than one of our labs, these are kind of our staples to make sure that you're activating those muscles, staying strong, making sure that you have that strength to keep yourself on the bike, and hopefully after 8, 16, or more weeks of doing these kind of cycled intervals of workouts, that things are starting to get a little bit easier. You're finding what really works. And if it's your first time around, I'm hoping you're finding your ground and getting a way to make a variation that allows you to do these workouts all the way through. A little comment for, about that, Jason. It used to be uh, a concept that a lot of athletes would apply that strength tra- strength training excuse me was only done in the base period over the winter but really it's something that should be continued and maintained even as you go through all the different phases of your training mm-hmm. throughout the year because how good is it to build something for a couple of months and then let that go as we know Absolutely. you can lose that fitness pretty quickly so what we do in our labs is we keep that we just change how often or how much you, time you spend on the strength part. Absolutely. I think um, it, it's something that we all need to think about. We need to make sure that, um, that we pay attention to that. And I think if you have been into, um, into the lab in the last couple of weeks, or sorry, the last two labs, you'll find yourself stronger than you have been in the past. So definitely great. Um, all right, let's move some in, um, right into some hot topics in the lab. Um, we're actually going to go straight to skills. Um, I think it's a super um, important topic here for this last week, especially. Um, so we're going to go straight to Taya here um, and a couple of the hot topics in the lab. Some great, great topics and questions came up through the forum. Let's start with uh, variations in FTP. So a writer who has been observing that her FTP seems to change quite a bit, not change in terms of it's different every time, but um, she is struggling with a couple of the workouts. So for example, VO2, but then for other workouts, it almost seems like it's easy for her. So her question was, should I change my FTP? How, how do I know which FTP is a good number to use to train for these workouts because mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. you know, some are, some are easier, feel easier than others. Um, so, you know, and, and she doesn't want to test, right? Because, well, let's face it, not everybody wants to test. Yeah, all the time. It's not, <laughs> it's really not a fun thing to do. Um, her specific question was on VO2, that, that those were particularly hard. And for this week, the VO2 progressive one. VO2 in and on itself is not uh, an indicator of your FTP. It's really, VO2 can be a limiter for a lot of athletes, meaning it's an area where people have difficulty and, or they had just haven't been training as much in that zone. So VO2 shouldn't be 
what gives you your FTP number. Uh, there are ways to look at workouts and have a good idea of where the FTP is. And uh, us as coaches, we have a couple of ways of doing that. We can manually do it looking at power files, all your workouts and a history of workouts, or we can use WKO4, which we also have, and import your workouts into that and take a look at your modeled FTP and some of the algorithms that go into it. But overall, for those of you listening, you can look at a couple of different things. You can look at your sweet spot workouts and see how you feel in those. Those are very close to FTP, typically 90, 95, 98% of FTP. We have time trial type workouts in the lab that you can look at, see where your power is. Are you struggling with those or are those right on point? If those are right on point and you feel that pressure in your legs without being exhausted and you're able to sustain that for, let's say, 12, 20 minutes, then it's a good indicator that your FTP is where it should be. Um, the other one is races. If you do a race, you can look at your normalized power. If it was a good race for you, if you gave it your best, and that can also be uh, a good direction, you know, in a good direction or where that FTP. Any other comments from the coaches? Yeah, yeah. just wondering, although, you know, when we go above VO2 max and we're into anaerobic, we're not using oxygen the same way, but it might be worth her checking her iron or her B12 levels, maybe, mm-hmm. that the recovery between the exertions isn't happening. Um, if there's any baseline of fatigue, I know, for example, with a more extreme fatigue level, uh, like chronic fatigue patients have a problem with lactic tolerance, uh, menstrual cycle, um, our mind, <laughs> they hurt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, if, totally. if you're not, if you're not recovered, your mind is going to really struggle with those ones. And, and I suppose that can be like a reverse placebo effect. Um, and just having good day-to-day nutrition, you, ne- you need really good cell membrane health for the delivery of oxygen and the removal of waste and for that whole recovery between sets and creatine phosphate um, may be helpful. Vegetarian or vegan, they're going to have a hard job replenishing ATP. They may be lower in their natural creatine phosphate stores. That's just a few things off the top of my head <laughs> to look at maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. definitely recovery is key. Um, when these workouts are at VO2 max or above um, with some of the anaerobic workouts that we've had in this cycle of workouts, making sure that there you have the proper recovery the day before and you're not layering things on top of that to tr- and still trying to get that effort in is key. So remember that the way we lay out workouts are a way that we have in our minds that can work out if that's what you are doing during the week. But if you're adding anything along the way, you may need more or less recovery. And um, that's a great point that um, Andrea had made, making sure that you're recovered properly, both nutritionally. Go ahead. Do you think there can be, you know, when we're doing those harder sessions, it's actually fatigue in our legs rather than fatigue in our lungs. So it's looking at, well, Mm -hmm. what's actually the... What's the limiter? Exactly. Is it it just not having the power or is it fitness up at that level regarding our oxygen? Really good point. Yeah, there was a couple other points um, from here. Yes, to close that one on the FTP, if somebody doesn't want to test often, and I don't blame them, (laughs) and this is something that, that, you know, our athletes have tried in the past. If you do the workouts and you find that you are really crushing them and you are recovering properly, so when you show up, you're able to do them 
and you feel you can sustain higher power than what we have as targets here, then you can go in there and test yourself and bring that target up by 5%. See how that goes. Um, if uh, it's something that you can do, then move on with that number. It doesn't, you don't have to, you know, there's, there's nothing that says that you absolutely need to do an FTP test. And so the other thing we're going to do is um, post in the forum a couple of things that you can do to test that it's alternatives to that 20-minute test uh, for you to consider. Yeah, absolutely. Nudging has worked uh, for a lot of our writers, um, giving, giving yourself uh, two to three watt increases, seeing how the load works, and positively finding that even up to five watts, some of our writers have had some success. Yeah. The other topic that came up was uh, differences in power between the trainer and outdoors. Mm-hmm. One of our writers was saying that um, she finds that indoors she's stronger. And when she goes out on the road, her numbers are not as high. There could be a couple of reasons for that. One might be the trainer, the calibration of the trainer. So mm-hmm. let's say that you have a power meter in your bike that you rely on and it's a good power meter. So that's a, a good number to look at. Um, depending on the trainer that you have, especially the ones where you leave your wheel on, there could be a problem with the calibration that it's, might not be as accurate. So then you see a difference there. Um, it could even be, you know, for example, when if you, and, and this is the case here with our, our rider who had this question, when you have a trainer that you leave the wheel on and you just turn the knob to calibrate, you should calibrate again after about 20 minutes after your warm up because then your tire is now warmer and your calibration might have changed. So you do a second calibration before you go into the actual intervals. The other, yeah. go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead, continue. Let's, I'll do it right at the end, go ahead. Okay, the other thing to look into, uh, or actually the other thing to consider here, and this is something that she brought up too, um, if you went through a bike uh, crash or an accident out on the road, this is something that might be really hard to recover mentally. Um, you go out, but you're still really, you know, worried about that that could happen again. And with that, you don't free yourself to the effort. You're always in the back of your mind holding back a little bit because you're worried, you're looking around, uh, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you're safe. So in those cases, you know, you know it's, it's good to be with a group if you can, a big group as you go out. Um, go out in very quiet times of the day and, and just over time get over uh, that fear of being outside again. So my point um, that I wanted to add to that was making sure that your power source um, is the same. It doesn't necessarily need to be, but just so that you understand if, in fact, you have an outside, quote-unquote, outside power meter that's on the bike, and that's not the same source that you're using indoors. Let's say you're using maybe a kicker or a cyclops hammer or a snap, a kicker snap, something like that that's giving you the power indoors. Um, You need to see that difference between the system that you're using outdoors. Um, so I don't know, was that the situation with this writer that, uh, that had a question in the lab or were they using the same power meter indoors and outdoors, Taya? Ah, that's right. No, the, she's using the Wahoo Snap indoors. But she does have a bike that has a power meter that's on the trainer or she uses a different bike for the trainer bike? I don't know. Yeah, we should check yeah. on that. Yeah, so that's key. 
So I have that I have that um, come up a lot of times with lab riders, especially at the beginning, where they may have a power meter um, on their outside bike and they're not using it on the trainer. And so they're using a separate bike or they feel that, oh, I have the kicker snap. I have the kicker. I just use the power meter from the kicker. When in fact, what would be preferable is to use the same power meter that you're using outdoors so that the numbers translate. And no matter what the effort, even with things like the kicker snap where um, you can put the the tire down, um, you know, harder or more or less, the power that you put to the actual strain gauge or to the power meter is exactly the same. So that would be an ideal situation. If, in fact, that she had um, uh, an indoor, let's say, just a trainer bike that was just on just on a kicker, um, for example, what she would need to do in that case is she, you would need to make sure that you can see the difference. You would have to spend some time with her outdoor bike on the indoor setup and see what the difference is. And then at least you have that in your mind. Makes sense. So that's key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Just that's up. The other question that came up was um, what happens if you're doing a workout and halfway through it, you just bonk? And it's just not having a good day. Perhaps it didn't fuel properly. It didn't sleep well. So one of our writers went on seven hours without food, which I find amazing. I do that. <laughs> yeah, wow. um, she did have a banana, which probably spiked her insulin levels quite a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so uh, in that case, we would look at, you know, how long did you do the workout for? And if you did half of it, I would say instead of, so the, her question was, should I redo it the next day and reattempt that workout? It really depends on what else you have going on in terms of your training plan. If you're a multi-sport athlete, chances are you're supposed to run the next day, which is her case. Um, or you have a busy week and you're not going to be able to just stretch everything out to repeat a workout, then have an additional rest and then do the next workout. So I would say in those cases, move on, move on to the next word, just move on with your schedule and um, do your next workout on the schedule. It's okay. You know, one day that you do not complete a workout is not going to really affect you that much. Um, There are reasons for it. It's good to understand what the reasons were. And this is something we're seeing more and more with our athletes uh, in the forum. They're really good about reading what the cause of the bonking was um, and understanding what could have influenced their fatigue for that day. So, yeah, in those cases, you know, she, she did more than half of that workout. Move on to the next one. Unless it is a key workout, too, for an event. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about time trial, for example, and doing a specific workout for your event. Then you might want to repeat it. So, again, check with us in the forum. Absolutely. We do have a couple of viewers here um, on live on the YouTube um, channel as well. So if you guys come up with live questions, go ahead and post them in the comments. Um, I'll go ahead and bring those in as well. So just wanted to bring that up. Go ahead, Taya. Excellent. So the other topic that came up was um, in transitioning to the next lab, training for a long event. As you know, you're part of a uh, training plan that has quite a bit of intensity work. So you have, let's say, two to three intensity workouts a week. But if you're doing a long event, um, a lot of uh, riders are typically worried about adding volume in and saying, well, shouldn't I swap the intensity workouts and just focus on the volume and really go long do those long rides because, again, let's face it, we have a limited amount of time to train every week, so shouldn't all of my time be spent on doing what I will do on event day? And I'm talking here about a century, right? I'm talking about 100 miles plus 
uh, with some elevation or maybe not elevation, but just being on the saddle for a long event, uh, six plus hours. And the answer here is you will need both. You will need the endurance, so the volume and time in the saddle, and you will need the intensity because you need to have that range and be able to, when you, when you build that intensity into your training plan, that will provide the support for your muscles to go longer. You will not get tired as faster. Mm-hmm. You will be able to tackle hills. You will be able to absorb surges. Um, and with that, you're going to be able to last longer and feel better during your event for the duration of it. So what we're going to do um, and what you can do, if you're not in a lab, you're, you should mix it up. You should have your intensity sessions and then you add volume in. And depending on how much fitness you have in terms of endurance, if you haven't spent a lot of time training for, let's say, a century, you can add time weekly up until the event. Um, and we're going to have in the next lab, in the plan, in the calendar, where, which days you can add volume and how much so you're ready for that century that, you know, you're planning on doing. No, I think that's definitely a good piece uh, to add because it is important to make those things um, kind of move the needle on those, especially if you're going to do those longer efforts and those longer rides. And as we find more and more of our riders getting outside of the criterium world um, and getting into the Grand Fondo, those 100K rides, 100-mile rides, that's where this fitness is going to come into key, where um, you'll have these short intervals to really um, build your power and your efforts. And then you've got that long endurance to really take you to the end of the rides. So one last comment I will make here too, uh, that we'll have in the next lab is what I'm calling the away and vacay video. (laughs) A lot of our riders take time off this time of the year. So they are traveling for a week and they don't always have access to their bikes, what can they do during that time to maintain their fitness so they can come back and slide back into uh, their plan when they get back on the bike? So there are specific exercises you can do with your own body weight that will keep you sharp, and that way when you come back, you don't have that much of a, let's say, building curve to get back to where you were. Absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely key. A lot of our riders, um, you know, they're working, they are um, on the move. So um, having some time away from the bike and having something to do um, just because um, idle minds, uh, you know, (laughs) definitely we're thinking about our bikes and thinking about our workouts. So that's great. All right, we need to take a quick break. Um, This pot, just to remind everybody that this podcast is brought to you by the coaches of Endurance Lab, where you can train smart, learn more and get results. And that our labs are specifically designed to help you achieve your structured training goals with a group of cyclists and triathletes working towards the same goal. In the lab, you'll have direct access to certified coaches and experts in various aspects of endurance training. And you'll also learn with your peers going through the same lab as you'll have access to our exclusive forum. We use online training tools and cycling platforms that include Training Peaks, Zwift, and Trainer Road to help facilitate the interaction. So head over to endurancelab.fit right now to find out when the next lab actually begins and we'll have more information about that here at the end of our lab 
So the next hot topic that we've had is um, coming into is uh, preparing and racing a time trial. So we've got a couple um, comments about that, and I've got pulled up a really nice article um, that has got some information here and a couple highlights that we wanted to uh, kind of bring across to the group. Um, and this article is actually brought to us by Bike Radar. So I will post a link to this in our conversation so that we can um, find out the top ten tips to get your best ever time trial. So. We'll go ahead and get started. Um, we've got a, um, we've got Andrea here for some great comments on how um, she deals with um, you know uh, her TT efforts in her uh, in her world of multi multi sport. And um, I know that is uh, we talk a little bit about equipment and we can uh, chat a little bit about her new uh, her new toys at her house. <laughs> oh yeah, <All> right. <laughs> exactly. All right. So uh, t- first one, um, it's learning to hide from the wind. So a lot of information um, for TTs and for those sections of the the Ironmans that people are doing is making sure that you um, understand that your body essentially acts like a big, huge kite or a brake when you're on the bike, whether you're doing road biking or TTing, that it makes up over 80% of the area that's slowing you down. So it's really important to kind of keep that in mind and trying to figure out how you're going to kind of make that area smaller so that you can overcome those resistances. And so learning to hide from the wind um, as a TT rider is super, super important um, so that it all kind of all ties together um, with your your bars, your arms, your shoulders, um, dropping your body down um, and aerodynamics. Um, So moving on to the second tip, we're talking about being able to stretch your lower back your glutes and hamstring. And what this does is speak to your flexibility, your ability to get down low, get yourself into a position that will make you essentially what we call slippery in the wind um, to give you that um, aerodynamicity. I don't even know if that's a word, but getting your, (laughs) your ability to kind of stretch through the wind. So stretching these areas, making sure that they're um, able to keep that position, not for just a short period of time where you're in a an aggressive TT position, but in fact, able to hold a position because a power position where you can hold and put a higher power output versus a very aggressive position, you can only hold for a short period, but have to keep either raising your shoulders or even sitting up um, is probably not the best situation. You want to find a nice compromise that will allow you to be in a comfortable position and put the maximum amount of power And then we go on to tip three, which is gear will actually help, but it's not something that you're needing to spend loads and loads on. But in fact, getting the basics right is important. Having an aerodynamic um, frame paired with a good set of wheels is definitely key. And then after that, bike fit is super, super important. So I guess we could take a quick stop here and maybe pose the question to Coach Andrea. Um, She did move to a new steed and is getting adapted to it. And maybe we could ask her kind of what made her make that jump and how she's doing with that transition. Uh, The main jump was that my current bike isn't fitting me right and was leading to a couple of issues with my lower back in that I actually even though I'm short and then they told me I have long legs and a long back I don't know where the short part fits but I'm short (laughs) (laughs) but I was just too crunched up on it so yeah I have a a lovely new aero bike and I have to say it's it's always windy here at the moment out riding and I'm I'm definitely learning what it's doing I'm not the most confident on the bars 
Um, mm-hmm. I grew up on mountain bikes and up in the hills, and these bikes don't move in the wind. And now I'm trying to understand what it's twitching like and where is my center of weight and how that, like, I'm, I'm really comfortable on the hoods and the drops. It's just, I feel I have less control over the bars and I'm, I'm learning about that. It's, it, it sounds really silly, but I, I actually had a, a little accident on my bike when I was about 10 and I ended up in A&E and I can't remember any of it. And it was the game. Let's see who can go the fastest down a hill. It wow. was my idea but it's still there in the back of my mind. It's like, oh, you can hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think the best way is practice. And I've realized when you're around a lot of traffic or in the mornings when people are going to work, there's a lot more going on. So I'm like, okay, I got to practice and I got to go out at the weekends when the roads are quiet and just spend more and more time and you gradually keep nudging through. But the bike is amazing. I think it's like the wrong jockey at the moment. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It feels so different, so fast, so steady underneath me that I it's just I think it's like I think you have to bond with your bike like it's a it's a horse I don't yeah. know does anyone else feel that it's no totally oh, I yeah. totally feel that 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 bond that you have and that you feel that you feel that confidence that it's going to take care of you you know you take care of it you make sure that you know it's in tip-top shape when you take it out um, I think it's super important and and finding that bond so that's great I, that you're finding your way and so you know speaking to that you know the gear is important um, and getting yourself fit to it. And then you notice that's um, a lot of what we were talking about here um, with the old bike, with um, with Andrea and the new bike, is that uh, she's looking for that right fit that's going to allow mm-hmm. her to put the right amount of power out and be comfortable. And then that's what she's working on now. So obviously, speaking kind of more globally, you know, dropping down the stem, getting yourself super low, um, again, may be ideal um, from the static position, but making sure that you are fit properly to put the right amount of power out is key. Um, as we move on to step four or to tip four, it's uh, working on your um, time trial specific fitness. Um, and we'll kind of throw in a little bit of conversation about pacing here um, is just making sure lo- like a lot of the workouts that we're putting out um, in our labs is that you're spending time um, at above, below, um, right around your threshold, because depending on the length of your race, you are going to be racing at some percentage of that, obviously. Um, The longer the race, the lower the percentage, the shorter the race, the higher the percentage. So making sure that you're able to put that effort out at a length of time is very important. And then a layer on top of that, um, putting different efforts, for example, um, higher level sprints, if you need to go up some of, let's say, short rollers, um, being able to recover um, and at that threshold power, and then maybe going up and repeating that again is super important. Um, so having that in, as well as working different cadences, whether they be low, if there be climbs, um, higher if you need to spin up um, on downhills, um, because a lot of times on our um, road races, you will try to kind of um, conserve pace coming down, um, but you would really want to keep that power up as you go on the downhills as well. Um, and then being, of course, being able to attack in those um, final bits of the TT to really get your time out, to put all your effort out are super, super important. And this is where a good time would be to bring in um, kind of different pacings. Um, and I'll actually pass this on over to Taya. She's um, typically, we break it into small portions and uh, she can kind of explain some of those uh, as we talk about pacing here. And if you decide to do a time trial, like I did last year for the first time without the the TT bike <laughs> without the aero helmet. And uh, I was probably the only one showing up at the start line 
with my regular bike, although I do have a very aero bike for a road bike. Um, but if you're like me, and I know that a couple of our athletes are doing this, mm-hmm. they, they want to give time trial a, a go because why would they invest in the equipment if they don't even know if they like it, right? So you can really, you can do it. You can do these events. They're very typically, right? They're very safe. Um, they're in good, good courses. You don't have a lot of people around you. You're, it's just you and the clock. So, um, yeah, give it a go. And, and if this is your very first one, here's an idea of how you would break it up in terms of pacing. So break it up into four parts. Oh, and, and going back a little bit to what Jason mentioned in terms of what power you should be targeting. I'll give you an example. If you're doing a 20K, uh, you could... Based on your training, typically, if you're doing the lab, you could target that at about 90%. So that's Mm -hmm. that's just to give you a ballpark of what the numbers might be for that distance. And so if you go longer, obviously, uh, you might not be able to sustain that 90%. So you bring the power down shorter, you might be able to go faster. But I don't think they're shorter than 20K. So first quarter, you should write less than what you're capable of doing. Obviously, you need to hold yourself back. Your legs are going to be feeling fresh, but you shouldn't be going too hard because otherwise you'll be struggling at the end. At the same time, the first minute and a half to two minutes of that quarter, you should get a good start. So that's your initial acceleration just to get into the rhythm and then you settle into the power. The second quarter, you're right at an effort that you want to average for the entire race. So in my 20K example is the 90%. You'll begin to feel a little bit, you know, of strain and fatigue. But if you're struggling, that means you're going too hard. In that second quarter, you should be feeling just enough pain, the manageable amount, what we would call it sweet spot. No struggling yet. The third quarter is when you start to go a little bit harder. So this one is important to get right um, because if you went too hard up until this point, you're going to slow down. That's why you want to pace yourself that in that third quarter, you really need to be focused and ride a little bit harder. You will stay, it will hurt. Um, You might want to shift into a harder gear, see if you can maintain the cadence. If not, you shift it back. And then the fourth quarter is the most painful part because that's the end. That's when the finish will come in. This is where you should give your all. Um, Of course, again, pacing for that fourth quarter. If you have, you know, however many miles you have left for whatever it is, see what you can do for that amount of time. And when you see the finish line, try to accelerate for the last, let's say, 1K. Mm-hmm. If you were able to go super hard <laughs> on that 1K, that means your pacing wasn't quite on point. Um, you had more to give. <laughs> so that's an that's on, you know, overall an overview for you on, uh, on pacing yourself. Yeah, some really good points there. I think um, a couple things that you could look at for those uh, for those data writers, you're looking at your average power and your normalized power to be very close to the same. That means you're not having this huge variation in power as uh, you go through the different um, portions of your TT. Um, in that first quarter, usually what's most important that we remind our riders is making sure you don't go out too hard. It will feel super easy. You will set a goal and it will feel super easy and you're going to want to go over or be at threshold or above at that very beginning. But really just stay true to yourself and get get yourself dialed in. And um, just to speak to the kind of time trial that um, 
that um, Taya was talking about. We actually have a couple riders. Um, we have rider Justin Wagner who actually did what's called an Eddie Merck style um, TT where you're actually not allowed aero bars or aero wheels, and it's kind of just more of a ro- on a road bike. So those are actually coming into vogue. Um, here, at least in the States, where people are coming in with their road bikes and just getting a chance to bring new blood into the TT world because it's very easy, obviously, to get lost in uh, getting, the, you know, like the steps we're talking about and getting lost in all the aero and positioning and all of that. All right, let's see if we can bang through the last couple of these tips. We've got fuel your fire properly, which makes sure making sure you get the fuel that you need in. Um, I think more important than making recommendations of what you should have, I think it's important that you test and you practice the food that you're going to be um, putting in for these um, these efforts. Because a lot of times they may be, you know, anywhere from 40K, 20K, um, and then maybe even shorter depending on your location. But it's important that you practice the fuel that you'll be putting in. Practice the hydration if you'll be putting any in depending on the situation. If these efforts are longer than 60 minutes, these are workouts that you've done that are completely all out. You may not need hydration. You may not need um, the, the fueling during the ride, but you'll need to make sure that your recovery is right there available right at the end of the workout or right at the end of the TT. So very important. More than anything is making sure that you are practicing your nutrition there. Learn some confidence tricks is our next trip. And this speaks to making sure you practice on the TT bike, making sure you can tuck your elbows in, you can keep your hands in, whether you're going to put your thumb over the bar, under the bar, making a fist on the front of your um, arrow bar. All of these things are the things that you need to practice and make sure that you're comfortable in because it can be a very, very tricky position to be tucked for this long, long period of time, depending on your um length of your race, as well as getting out enough to make sure you can handle things like gust of wind, um, cars coming by, um, or whatever it may be. But hopefully during your race, it will be more open and kind of more of a closed road that Taya described. Tip seven is going hard on the hills and into the headwinds. And this just speaks to making sure that there's efforts um, and that you can really push up against those. If you don't have hills, find a place where there's lots of wind and headwinds and that you're familiar with being heavy on the pedal, keeping every stroke pushing down and making sure you're putting that power out and that effort um, into it because you want to make sure that you can push yourself up those mountains, um, up any hills, any rollers to keep um, down on the other side. Um, but keeping um, pacing in mind. Of course, as we go on to eight and nine, making sure that you're ready to ride on the day of, warming up and practicing your warm-up. We've said this several different times. We have offers of different types of warm-ups for different kinds of rides, making sure that you're adequately warmed up. You won't be warming up on course because a lot of times these TT events are on the shorter end, meaning that you need to make sure you're warmed up to the line, ready to go. A lot of times riders are not warming up Um, long enough or hard enough to get themselves right where they need to be um, to the line to be ready to put out a full-out effort right when they go down the ramp or right when they're released from the start line. And then as you get into that second, that third quarter of the race, making sure that you stay relaxed and you're just thinking fast, looking at the things that are happening, keeping the targets in mind, making you you stay in a relaxed position as that's what essentially is going to be the fastest. The last tip, super important, and even for the road bike, um, as you go out for those longer rides, even if they are 100-mile rides, you get on Strava, you get in the car if it's a short race for, for TT, and you go out there 
and you recce the you recce the course. Essentially, you go and ride the course, look at the course, look at the road condition, look if there's any turns, if there's a turnaround, finding the position where you're going to start braking and get yourself turned around. All of those things are important. So knowing the course beforehand, before you're sent out, versus just rolling the dice as to follow which way to go is super, super important. So we'll try to keep that in mind. So again, I'll go ahead and post these tips um, into the um, into the <clears throat> forum when we post the Coach's Corner as uh, and into the show notes if we can. That way we have those available for you to check out. Um, and uh, if you have any questions about those, post them up. And then uh, as for the coaches, was there anything we wanted to add about prepping and racing for a time trial? Just definitely you need to have prepared your day by eating well um, with some carbohydrate um, because you're probably not going to eat or drink if it's a shorter one. I know we've had a time trial series in our club recently and Garen came home and he said, I might have pushed that a bit. I nearly vomited on the end. Is is that ideal? (laughs) 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 You finished the last bit strong, Um, but you need to have some, some glycogen and blood sugar in the tank. Uh, mm-hmm. So this isn't your low carb day. <laughs> no, no, definitely it is not. And making sure you get the right feeling. And again, it's practice because you need to know what you could do for that short period of time. And um, and getting yourself into that position is is what we need to do. So great. All right. Well, let's transition over. We're actually going straight to Andrea here with a couple of uh, the topics with uh, some of the riders and how they're feeling after their uh, after their rides, as well as um, some uh, some tips on uh, how we could uh, feel for our rides, Andrea. Take it away. Yeah, I'm going to keep this pretty short and hopefully to the point. There was a question from Andy about doing a longer indoor session at 3R15. And he felt, quote, pretty awful and wiped out. Um, Is it hydration or is it lack of eating? And he discussed that he had taken on three bottles of electrolyte and had a couple of snacks, um, but that he probably could have done it a bit better. I think he was rating his kids' snacks. So, I mean, we always have to stop and think, well, what could it have been? Was it just the day? Or if this is is consistently happening, we need to look a little bit deeper. Um, We talk a lot on the lab about building our base, building our fitness base. But not only are we building this, we need to build our nutrition base, we need to build our sleep base, and we need to build our recovery base. Um, And as as Ian pointed out on the discussion, fatigue accumulates. And it does. And it has a consequence because of the hormonal shifts that we start to see. We start to impact our ability to recover, our ability to store glycogen, our ability to maintain our muscle mass, which is our power. Um, Our blood blood sugar levels start to become a bit more dysregulated. And that's because of um, the impacts of cortisol. Um, So we tend to bounce high and low a lot quicker. Um, our sleep quality becomes impacted. So the tired we get, the worse our sleep, and it's a bit of a vicious cycle. But also our focus and our concentration and our mood starts to to suffer. Um, Thea mentioned along this discussion about dizziness and blood sugar. But interesting. Dizziness can be an early warning sign for kind of a, an increasing level of fatigue in the body as well. And our top end suffers when it comes to those harder sessions. So it's really important to eat well consistently as every meal. We're, we're, we, we need the micronutrients. We need the 
antioxidants. We need the vitamins and the minerals. So we need whole food, real food, loads of veggies, good quality protein and our good fats. And that's important for our body and for our daily training. So we can tend to get in a mindset of it's only about fueling and calories, but there's so much more going on in the body. So you have to step back and always look at the daily nutrition. So then looking at the session in itself, hydration could be a factor. When we're inside, we do sweat a lot more. Um, We tend to see heart rate drift as we get hotter and hotter. So the perception of the session Um, although the actual work being done, we'll start to perceive that it's harder and harder because the heart rates start to go up. Now, there's a question about do you drop it down and let the heart rates drop down or do you keep going with the power because they do say that the heart rate isn't really reflecting. But at the same time, if fatigue is an issue, I I would start to pull it back. Um, A simple way to look at whether we're managing our, our, our hydration is to weigh ourselves before the session and immediately after the session and you're aiming for not more than a kind of two or three percent body weight drop if it's going greater than this you are picking up a little bit too much dehydration now we do have resilience to more it's just that day by day training session by training session we don't want to be pushing the dehydration all the time and digging ourselves in a hole because it's just making it harder for the body especially when we're inside and we're going to get hotter and hotter um if you feel that you're a high salt sweater, low uh, depleted electrolytes, although we talk about it more sensationalist than it really is, for some of us, it can start to feel like a low blood sugar level. So if you're not sure and you, you feel you may have high um, electrolyte losses, it's worth getting proper sweat testing done um to really dial in your needs some people do need a lot more electrolytes in the bottle and some of us less um so that's one to look at if if the problem is continuing um it's important to not fall behind on the nutrition and hydration during the session uh sometimes when we dig ourselves in a hole we just don't get ourselves back out of it and you can have a big crash later on in the But I know that a lot of us tend to feel that. And we've, I think we've discussed this actually before. And Thea, you noticed that too, that when, when we get behind, we're kind of messed up for the rest of the day. So it's just staying ahead of getting really, really hungry um, and managing, managing what we're eating. And I would think about with some sessions, especially those longer ones, which could be considered race practice, hold on to your wrappers and watch what was in your bottle and actually count up how many grams of carbohydrates you took in during the session and then work it out based on your carb gram intake per hour. And you're shooting for at least sort of 40 grams up to even the 60 plus grams, depending on whether what the intensity is, whether you're race practicing, but it's good to get an idea of what you're doing and where you may need to get for racing and how you feel and dialing in your individual needs. So I would be looking at that. Actually, how much did you take? For some of us, it's far less than we think. Um, breakfast. That, I think that was one of the big culprits that jumped out was that it just it it was a calorie breakfast and a carbohydrate breakfast, but not a nutritional breakfast. Um, so aiming to get in those complex nutrition providing carbohydrates 
maybe some some berries or fruit or if it's a more savory breakfast some vegetables and some protein so really setting yourself up to have some good fuel in your system before you start on the bike um and to practice it's important to practice because you your body needs to be used to having breakfast before you race uh they were the main things really that jumped out at me but it's you have to stand back and think oh what actually went wrong there (laughs) and figure it out the after I found, so I, I went through on my own journey, figuring out what I needed for indoor sessions. Um, I thought I had pretty much everything dialed in before and during, but then after is where I was failing because what happened was I would eat something after, but it wasn't enough. Or I would eat something after and it didn't have enough carbohydrates. Um, and then an hour later, I, I, so I find that at this point, there's an, a minimum amount of carbs that I need that makes me feel good. So that's where the trial and error comes in and individualizing it. So you have to see what makes you feel better just because, you know, somebody said it should be no more than 40 grams of carbs because your session was an hour long yeah. and it was at 80% of F, you know what I mean? So yep. it, it's really what works for you. And for me, I was feeling dizzy. I wasn't feeling well, but I found that if I get a certain amount right after, and then I eat again an hour later, but this is for like the, the hard sessions, like the one that Andy had three hours long on a trainer, then um, getting, and, and I'll eat it even if I'm not hungry. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. I know that if I don't, it will take me hours and it might be the next day before I feel better. Yeah, it's important, even if you're not hungry, kind of prioritize a bit of protein and a bit of carbohydrate. So at least you're starting the repair um, process and the recovery process and then eat again within the hour. And and then that second food intake should be real food, yeah. preferably. I think this is this um, also dips into the conversation where a lot of riders are trying to almost burn essentially what we call burn the candle on both ends, where they're thinking they will kind of short themselves of food afterwards, depending on their workout they do, um, you know, for a trade off on calories. And that's not something we're looking to do. And the no, second thing you're going to lose your muscles. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you're exactly. undoing your session. Right. And that speaks to this um, specifically is having something. Um, what I find is a lot of riders were on, um, let's say, on Zwift. And, um, you know, we've got training peaks up and all of this sort of thing. And it takes you maybe 20, 30 minutes, maybe just to even transition from being on to off the bike. So having that prepared food that you're ready to have right off the bike whether it be in um, a drink version or even just real food, like right there available right after your workout is super key because you've got, you're saving that 20 minutes of you trying to um, put something together and then get food in. So having it available right off the trainer since we're there, hey, let's use that convenience and have it right available also. So just something to add. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think there is no excuse. How long does an omelet take to cook or a smoothie? (laughs) Exactly. It's so easy. Or can of fish on some whole grain or rye bread. Oh man, sardines on on bread <laughs> after my workout. I don't know if I could do that one, Andrea. <laughs> I'm a sardines fan, but man, right after I don't know if I could do it. All right, did you have a couple of um, a little bit of conversation about smoothies and different things that we could put them put into them um, before we go here? Yeah, wow, there were some really cool recipes going on mm-hmm, there. Um, mm-hmm. I think with 
with smoothies, you're either a smoothie person or you're not. So don't feel you have to force yourself to have smoothies if it's not your thing. Um, like I, I tend to prefer savory, savory, so I'll often have soup, which is you can pile in all the same sort of things. It's just a different type of food. With smoothies, there's a danger of the portion being too big. So it's being mindful of that and watching the calorie-dense, sugar-rich foods. So you need to think about, it's a bit how we kind of fluctuate our carbohydrate intake across the weekend with our training sessions. You need to ask yourself, how much fruit can I put in this smoothie? Because some people love fruit smoothies. and No one was doing it on the group, actually. Um, but we do need to watch the amount of sugar, fruit, bananas, and dried fruit. Um, if you can get some slower releasing um, carbohydrate, maybe a little bit of oats, that can be helpful. Um, again, watching the quantity of the window too, they are brilliant to have in there because they slow down. It's just being mindful um, that we're not putting coconut and nut butters and nuts and seeds. And suddenly we have like a 600 to 1,000 calorie uh, smoothie. Um, so it's just being mindful of that. You could make a nice big portion and then split it out across the day and maybe have one portion at one point and at the second. Um, it's very important when you can to fat in, into your smoothie because that will help balance the release of, of sugars into the bloodstream. From, and it will always be a bit faster because it's been pulverized. We, we wouldn't eat that much fruit as quickly, if that makes sense. Um, so smoothies do increase how fast that gets into our system, which is fantastic after a training session or right before a training session. Um, so tailor your smoothie ingredients based on how close you are to training, whether it's before or after, and what is the goal or duration or intensity of that training session. So they're, they're kind, you can dial it up and dial it down and change things around. And if it's an easier session, put in more fat and protein. If it's a harder session, put in more protein and carbohydrates. If it's a recovery session, Put in less fat, more protein, more carbs. Sort of play around with it that way and see how you feel on it. And they, I was, and and Ian, were adding in like loads of brilliant stuff like cinnamon, which will regulate antioxidant, turmeric. Um, you can do dried powders, reds and greens, and different. And ginger, I love ginger. Yeah, which is fantastic. Um, and if you're putting turmeric in, it's good to try and get some fat in there and even some peppercorn because that will increase the absorption from the curcumin. Being mindful of the quality of the protein product that gets added in. So if we're using protein powders, whether they're vegan um, or protein, just striving for a good quality product. If you're an elite athlete that gets drugs tested, ensuring that it's a a good brand that you can rely on that has NSF or stamped on it. Um, we can use other things like um, tofu will work, cottage cheese will work, Greek yogurt will work. Um, to bring up. We don't want to use a powder. Um, watching for dairy sensitivity and going OTT on the day um, because we can end up having a lot of milk if we're having every day. Or if we're choosing a dairy alternative um watching the quality of that dairy alternative so soya milk for example i'm not a fan of whereas you can get good quality rice or almond or coconut and then mm -hmm. trying to avoid the ones that have been sweetened or have too much um, carrageenan or thickeners in there yeah um, andrew i have a question on the protein yep how is egg whites is it true that egg whites cold you know the ones that you buy 
ready pasteurized? Is it true that it's not as well absorbed protein as you would if you did a cooked egg? Oh, I think that's more about something called avidin. Oh, where's Siri? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so to, to, to avidin, I think that binds B12 when it's raw. So but it's, it's just, in terms of protein, is it okay to use that in a smoothie? Because that, that can yeah. be tasteless, right? And it's pretty quick and easy and it's, you know, plain yeah, natural I, source. I think so. And even if you like the yolk, throw the yolk in because that's going to add in so much nutrition. Um, but yeah, it, it's varying it all up. Just like our foods, use egg whites someday, use cottage cheese or use a protein powder, use whey, you know, flip between lots of different ones and then you know you're getting different nutrients in with each choice makes sense i don't see a problem with with egg whites so long as it's sort of balanced in across the week mm-hmm. minerals which can be found in the been a little trouble hearing Andre here. Oh, Good. sorry. Let's try um, that. So we spoke about oxalates, um, which can bind up our minerals, and they would be found mostly in the beet greens and the spinach. So trying to balance the green choices, maybe with some kale or rocket or broccoli um, and other different veg, will just prevent overloading an oxalate, which wouldn't be a problem for most of us. But for somebody like me, um, oxalates can cause kidney stones. So, <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's why it's nice to have some of the cooked veg in balance with the raw veg. All right. So it looks like we've got some good sources of, um, you know, recipes for smoothies, some good things that we can add in and making sure that you keep an eye on those micronutrients from the greens and all those little things that you could add, like the cinnamon, the ginger and things like that, the turmeric, all really good additions to really boost up the size. Um, And then speaking of size, making sure that you keep that size Um, in the portion that makes sense for your workouts and that you're getting um, that sort of thing in. So let's go ahead and um, if there was no other uh, comments on that, we'll go ahead and move to On the Horizon. So On the Horizon, we want to remind writers um, and everyone in the lab to check out the form at www.discuss.endurancelab.fit. Even you, if you are not a member of the lab, you can. there are actually plenty of open topics, including trend, um, nutrition and a lot of the topics we talked about today that you could also participate in. Um, there was a reminder from um, Coach Ian uh, to talk about a future lab or a future module that will allow riders anywhere from 5K, 10K to even um, half marathon and marathon distances for those that want to um, put a little bit of running in their life, um, I think he would call them those who are looking for the enlightened path. I think uh, he would probably say if he was here. So um, keep that on your radar. Uh, we will have that available to uh, lab riders who are interested in doing a little bit more running. Um, and and as, as far as our next power lab or our next cycling focus lab, it is actually coming up on May 28th. And it's um, eight weeks. And so essentially the Power Lab is designed to prepare athletes to participate in various events um, and races, in, including during the outdoor season. 
the emphasis is actually on intensity at threshold and VO2 max, uh, while still not losing sight of your aerobic and dis- uh, endurance and muscular force. Essentially, this translates into workouts that combine multiple abilities into single sessions so that the athlete's prepared in for these many demands of these events. So athletes training indoors exclusively during this period can still benefit from these skills, but can also take any of these workouts, of course, outdoors. All right. And was there anything else um, from um, Coach Andrea, Coach Taya, anything else that we want to bring up here for the Coach's Lab today? So Andrea had to run to an appointment, so she uh-huh. wanted us to say goodbye for from her side. Um, I just want to say I'm so excited about the next lab. I've been, we have been as coaches here working on all of the uh, workouts and the plan. It's looking great. And as I mentioned earlier, there will be add-ons for added volume if you're doing long events uh, and some alternatives if you're off the bike when you take some time off uh, for vacation. So stay tuned. Awesome. Um, we also got word that um, Coach Mitch should be back. Um, he will have plenty of stories. Um, he's been a little bit of physical therapy, um, so he can uh, tell us about his adventures there. Um, but um, we look forward to having him back onto the Coach's Corner. All right. I want to thank everybody for joining us today in the Coach's Corner. If it's your first time listening and would like to hear more about the content here from the Endurance Lab, head over to your favorite podcast app and search The Endurance Lab or head to YouTube and search the same and click subscribe. For more information on when the next lab is, head over to endurancelab.fit to learn where you can join us to train smart, learn more, and get results. We'll see you next week.